Get your Bible and turn it on, would you? And um, turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 11. Let me speak to you the message entitled, The Rest of the Story. Palm Sunday, the day of Lamb selection, the rest of the story. And we read in Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came back to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are doing this, tell them the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the city, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Well, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I want you to look closely at Mark chapter 11 and verse 9 because this really is very, very important. Up to this time in the life and the ministry of Jesus, whenever he did a great miracle or whenever he would move in an area, most of the time he would tell people, don't share it or tell anybody what I have done. And the reason is his time had not come yet for the proclamation of who he really was as Messiah. However, in this instance, the triumphal entry, it's almost as if Jesus is for the first time publicly allowing them to celebrate who he really is. And the scripture says, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I believe that there are some of us here that if you're anything like I am and you've been around church most of your life, you can probably recount the Palm Sunday message by verbatim or memory but there also may be others here who are hearing it for the first time. So allow me to not drain it, but to give you the hidden diamonds and the behind-the-scenes story and the rest of the story. Because this was not the event that many of you really understand. It is an amazing event. I want you to think about it in the minds of the disciples. It's an incredibly exciting day. In their minds, they're most likely thinking, our Jesus movement is really taking off. His triumphal entrance into Jerusalem is more than we can possibly imagine. He's not afraid of the Romans, and he's not in any fear of the occupation. The crowds are large. The people are shouting in praise, and they're saying militantly, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, the word Hosanna literally means save us, save us. So they were crying out at Jesus as he's coming down the street, save us, save us. However, we soon discover they were not talking about saving their soul. They were speaking about a political deliverance from the iron hand of Rome. They were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or a better translation would be, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai, the most high God. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Listen and understand what they were really saying. They were believing and saying, well, Jesus was the one who restored the splendor of the kingdom of our past. He's going to bring back the great heyday when we were under King David. The crowds lining the streets of Jerusalem are thinking a political rally. They were not looking to him as a spiritual messiah, but a political messiah. And they're thinking, this Jesus of Nazareth, he possesses supernatural power. We've seen the miracles with our own eyes. He possesses power that is so awesome, he can easily release us from the Romans and our oppressors. He has power over nature. We've seen the winds and the waves obey him. We know he walks on water. We know he multiplies food for loaves and fish that'll feed thousands and thousands of people. This man heals the sick. He makes the lame to walk. He opens the blinded eye. Oh, he's an amazing man. And, and if that's not enough, you know they were saying, he even raises the dead. He's got power over the dead. Look, Lazarus is here with us. He was dead four days, and Jesus showed up at the tomb. He looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I could preach a whole series of messages on that one line. Thank you that you have heard me. Interesting that that's in the past tense, and Lazarus is still dead. Thank you that you have heard me. And they're saying, look, Lazarus was raised from the dead. As he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. But not only Lazarus. So was Tabitha, the daughter of Jairus. She was dead, but he raised her from the dead, saying she was only sleeping. He walked into her bedroom and said, Talitha kum, an Aramaic little girl, arise and walk. And they must have been thinking, the Romans don't have a chance if this man were to ever get angry and decide to use his supernatural power. And if Jesus, as our king, Israel will become a great nation again. Even on that day, the use of palm branches was a sign of political rebellion. It's also a sign of great victory. Did you know that centuries prior to Jesus, the Greeks would wave palm branches as a sign of victory? It is not uncommon that they would take these and make them into a wreath and put it on the heads of the champions of the Olympians. They would wave the palm branches as a sign of military victory, as a sign of royalty. Likewise, the Romans did the same. When a Roman conqueror would come in, the people would wave palm branches to show that he was successful. And so now, Israel is doing the same thing. The palm tree from the times of iniquity was used as a, antiquity, excuse me, was used as a statement of resistance, rebellion, but also praise and also royalty. And so when you see the palms out in the streets that day and the crowds are talking about a king and the people are waving at Jesus of Nazareth, hoping that he will be their deliverer, you can almost see in your mind's eye the Roman soldiers reaching their hand over to grab their swords because this thing might get out of control. We might have a rebellion on our hands. And you can imagine how it concerned the Roman soldiers with all the commotion. 
Remember also, it is the Passover, and the crowds in Jerusalem have swelled. The normal population in Jerusalem is about 80 to 100,000 people, but now it's swelling to well over 2.5 million, and we'll touch on that in just a moment. And they're all crowded into Jerusalem. And just like political activists, the disciples were caught up in the moment as well. They must have thought, well, when Jesus takes his rightful seat and he reigns and rules, since we have been in the trenches with him, we will reign and rule right along with him. So, friends, it's no wonder that during this great political rally and procession, the Bible says that Jesus begins to weep over the city as he's coming towards it. And the reason he is weeping over Jerusalem, it is increasingly more evident to our Lord that no one, not even his closest associates, not Peter, James, and John, the three closest associates in the discipleship, are aware of what is really taking place. Not the crowds, not the spiritual elite of Jerusalem, and sadly, not even his dearest, closest friends. They only see part of the story. And that's why I want you to consider with me the title of the message, Palm Sunday, the rest of the story, the day of lamb selection. Because this was a day not like any other day. It was a day of incredible prophetic fulfillment. First, Palm Sunday was a day of lamb selection. You might want to write that down. Palm Sunday was the day of lamb selection. The very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey was a day of amazing prophetic fulfillment. 500 years before Jesus, did you know that the prophet Zechariah, in Zechariah 9 verse 9, he prophesied that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a colt. In fact, Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 500 years before Jesus did it. Now, let's look at and understand Daniel's prophecy of 69 weeks of years, 69 weeks of years until Messiah would be revealed was the being fulfilled that Palm Sunday with absolute prophetic precision. Now the math of this prophecy is so amazing. Turn with me to the book of Daniel because what happens on Palm Sunday can only really be understood in the light of Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. There is a prophetic word that is given, and Daniel prophesies that there will be a day when the Messiah is going to be revealed, and he tells us precisely what day and when it's going to happen. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So that's the first key. There's a command that will go forth to build and then rebuild Jerusalem. Until the anointed one, Messiah, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It'll be rebuilt with a trench, but in times of trouble. Now listen, these weeks that we just read about are not weeks of seven days, but rather are weeks of years, which is how the Hebrews are marking time. Now in simple terms, here's what Daniel is saying. From the time of the command to rebuild Jerusalem till the time the Messiah is going to be revealed, it'll be a period of 483 years. Now, biblical chronology is based upon 360 days, not 365 days in a year. 
and their days and years are based on what is called an ecclesiastical calendar and rather than a lunar calendar like ours. So there are 360 days in biblical chronology. So let's do the math and see how God lined this all up for you and me. 483 years times 360 days, that is 173,880 days. Daniel is essentially prophetically saying that in 173,880 days, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Prince, will be revealed after there will be a declaration to build and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, both of the next steps history and scripture supplies to us. Historians in scripture tell us that on March 14th, 445 BC, King Artaxerxes of Persia gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, let's add it all up and make a mathematical equation to show you the rest of the story and how God has planned this out for you and me. March 14th, 445 BC, plus 173,880 days is going to equal something that is going to shake the world. For on this day, the Messiah is going to be revealed. And this day will be April the 6th, 32 AD. April the 6th, 32 AD. Now listen to the rest of the story. It was April the 6th, 32 AD, was the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey as Israel's longed after Messiah. Now let's dig a little deeper. Let's go to the rest of the story. I want you to say with me, rest of the story. The rest of the story is amazing. April the 6th on our calendar is the same as the 10th of Nicaea on the Jewish calendar. And if you were to look at a Jewish calendar, even today, you would find April the 6th and the 10th of Nicaea are the exact same days. Now, turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. The first is Genesis, the book of beginnings. Exodus is the book of departures, we're meaning we're going somewhere. Exodus 12, we're looking at the rest of the story. Let's find out what the Bible says is going to happen on the 10th of Nicaea, April 6th, and what's going to happen on the 14th of Nicaea, because there's going to be something that will open our eyes and our understanding to the miracle of Easter. Oh, I'm giving you the background and the rest of the story. Exodus 12 and 1. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month Nicaea shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. In other words, God is telling Moses and Aaron, this is going to be your January. And the Lord is saying, what I'm about to do for you here in Egypt is going to totally change your life and your future. In fact, your calendar is going to be marked by it. Because the Passover marked a new beginning for Israel. The month in which it occurred, March, April, in our calendar, became the first month of a new year for the nation intended to remind the people that their very existence as God's people was the result of their deliverance from Egypt by God's mighty redemptive acts. If you remember the Disney movie, The Prince of Egypt, and the, Bible, the Lord told him in the Bible to apply the blood to the doorposts and the frames, and when the death angel comes over, 
He will go over Egypt, but go, excuse me, he'll go over Israel, but through Egypt. I don't want him to go through me. I want him to cover me and go over me. Amen? And that's what the blood did. And so he says, it will be marked on this day. But let me tell you the rest of the story. Exodus 12 and 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Listen, friend. Jesus came into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nicaea, the first month on the Jewish calendar. It was the very same day that the Jewish people were commanded to get their lambs for the Passover. On this special day, pilgrims were coming to Jerusalem from the four corners of the compass, and they were all carrying their Passover lamb. I want you to get that mental image in your mind. They're coming from every part of the known world, all the Jews, and they're carrying their Passover lamb. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us there was 256,000 lambs that were slaughtered on that day in Jerusalem. 256,000. He also estimated that there were 10 people per lamb. So based upon Josephus, we could estimate that there was about 200 or 2.5 million people in Jerusalem that day. That's roughly the size of the state of Rhode Island. And they're all bringing their lambs. And you can imagine the amount of noise and, and the cacophony of different things that are taking place and the lambs that are bleeding and they're carrying them and the streets are lying with the people and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember now the rest of the story. Remember the words of John the Baptist as he first laid eyes on Jesus. He's baptizing in the Jordan River, and he looks up to see the long, lean Galilean as his hair is blowing in the breeze, his robes are gleaming white. And what does John say? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Oh, that should make you want to shout. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's incredible when you think about what is happening as Jesus was being ushered into the city on the day of lamb selection. As God the Father stood in the balconies of glory, he was saying, this is my lamb. The lamb that I am providing, not for one family and not just for one year's worth of covering. Why would God say that? Because each family was bringing their lamb. And God was saying... I'm sending mine not just for one covering or for one family, but for the whole world and for all of eternity. And I'm so glad that he didn't say, I'm sending my, my lamb just for the Puerto Ricans or just for the African Americans or just for this group or that. He said for every nation, every tribe, every creed, and every color. Oh, come on. You need to clap your hands for the Savior. For in the kingdom of heaven, there is no color, only the crimson blood of Jesus Christ that flows from Mount Calvary's tree. If you believe that, can you clap your hands and praise him? Yeah. And God was saying, one lamb, the perfect lamb, without spot or blemish, the sinless lamb of God. And God was in essence telling all the world when your lambs are slain on that day, so will my lamb be slain. And understand this all goes back to a long, incredible history with God. 
It goes all the way back to Exodus and Zechariah and Daniel. And now 173,880 days later, or 483 years in total, it is the fulfillment of prophecy to the very moment, to the very second, to the very hour, right before their very eyes. But now the rest of the story. Oh, the rest of the story. For on this day, not only are they selecting a lamb for the families, but the high priest would select a lamb for the nation. Did you know that the high priest would go to a little farm outside of a little city called Bethlehem of Judea? The rest of the story. And there was a sect of Jewish priests that would raise perfect little lambs without spot or blemish. And it was out of the town of Bethlehem of Judea. Do you think it's an accident that God the Father had his only begotten son born of a virgin in a little place called Bethlehem? <laughs> oh, you're not catching it. Of Judea. And they would be born and birthed there in a little manger. Do you think it's an accident that there was no room in the inn and he had to be born in a stable? No, God is a God of patterns, and how he treated the natural Israel is how he treats you and I who are spiritual Israel, and he sets his mode of operation, and if you really want to know who God is, then you study the life and how he treated Israel, and he'll see how the parallels are for you and I. And the high priest would go to Bethlehem of Judea. He would select a lamb, and he would bring that lamb into Jerusalem on this day, the 10th of Nicaea. And he would walk him down the streets, and that lamb would be sacrificed, not for the sins of a family, but for the sins of a nation. And the people would shout to that little lamb, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai, the Most High God. And you have the palm branches in the streets. And they would wave them at that little lamb as he would be taken into the temple. And he would be walked into the temple, that little lamb. But then he would be taken out for his time had not come yet. Now think about what Jesus did. With that in your mind, the people are shouting, and the Bible says that he rode into Jerusalem, and he went up into the temple, but he turned around. Why? His time had not come yet. Malachi prophesied, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, that this is exactly what would take place. And God was saying, I have provided a lamb. What is the day? It's the 10th of Nicaea. What happens on this day? It's a day that you and your family select your lamb. And not only a lamb for your family, but historians tell us, and Josephus tells us, the high priest would select a lamb for the nation. And as Jesus is coming down the road, they're doing the exact same thing and shouting at him. They have no idea that they are looking at heaven's perfect lamb. They're caught up in the political things. They're caught up in everyday life. Quick question. What are you caught up that you're missing the lamb? With all the marches in Washington and the Democrats and the Republicans and the independents and this one says this and this one says that, are you caught up to the point that you're missing the lamb? <clears throat> that you're seeing how close we really are to Jesus coming? 
Friends, when you begin to put all the pieces together, you realize that Palm Sunday is a whole lot more than Jesus grabbing a donkey and riding into town. Oh, let me give you a little insight. I didn't share it last service, the rest of the story. He tells his disciples there is a colt tied outside the city, which means there was forethought in mind. And he already set things up. And understand, the colt had never been broken. So why did Jesus choose a colt, a donkey? Well, it was prophesied in Zechariah. It's prophesied in Malachi. But also, he understood the culture of the day. If Jesus were to ride into Jerusalem on a stallion or a war horse, it would have caused major panic in the Romans. But no, no, he comes as a man of peace on a colt, on a donkey. Fulfilling prophecy. Well, that's the rest of the story. The rest of the story is the donkey's never been ridden. But the Messiah sits on him, showing that every creature below him will bend their knees to the master. Hallelujah. Oh, that should make you want to shout. Because the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord according to the glory of God the Father. Oh, believe me, friend, that donkey knew that sitting on top of me is the Savior of the world. I got the privilege to carry down the streets of Jerusalem the King of Kings and the Lion of the tribe of Judah. My friend, Jesus is alive and he is well. Thank you, sir. He is alive and he's well. If you believe that, can you clap your hands and give him praise? We praise you, Lord. But now the rest of the story. After the selection of the lamb, Exodus 12, 5 and 6, read with me. Your lamb shall be without blemish, male of the first year. And you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So from the 10th to the 14th of the month, the Nicene, the month of Nicene, the people were to examine their Passover lamb to make sure that they were without spot or blemish. Now the rest of the story. Think with me for a moment of the rigorous inspection and examination that Jesus endured from the day of Palm Sunday till the day he was crucified. Our Lord was examined by the Herodians. You might say, well, pastor, who are the Herodians? The Herodians were a Jewish political group who supported King Herod, and they would side with him for political reasons. And so, again, they're not looking for a spiritual Messiah. They are looking at political things. The Bible says he was examined by the Pharisees and the Sadducees who have read the prophet Zechariah. They knew about the prophecy in Daniel. They knew all the things that Malachi said, but they were so caught up in the politics they're so caught up in the day. What are you caught up on in Palm Sunday that you're missing the lamb? He was examined by the lawyers of the temple. He was examined by the common people, even by his own disciples. In fact, friend, when you read from Mark chapter 11 on to the time of the crucifixion, you will find a rapid series of events and teachings all surrounding the investigation and examination of Jesus. And yet they had no idea that they're examining heaven's perfect lamb. And yet I understand and believe that so many times we come to church and we get so caught up in our day, get so caught up in Little League, and get so caught up in the things that we, it's just another day, it's just another Sunday. Oh, no, it's not. No. 
It's the day of lamb selection. They had no idea they were checking out heaven's perfect lamb. Every word he spoke, every miracle thoroughly inspected. Then after his arrest in the garden, he was examined by Caiaphas, the high priest. And then they took him to the, Roman, the pilot, the Roman governor. And then to Herod, the tetriarch. And after all the examinations and after all the inspections, do you remember what Pilate said? He said, I've checked this man out. I've checked out his teachings. I've checked out his miracles. I've checked out your claims and your accusations against him. And in him, I find no fault. Do you realize they were checking out the lamb? Now the rest of the story. Please understand, when a family brought their lamb to the Passover feast, they would have four days to rigorously have it checked out by the priest. And it had to go through a series of tests to make sure it would pass a sin offering. Because if you brought one before the Lord that would not, was not accepted, it would mean you would, your sins would not be taken away. And you and your family would live under your sin and the burden of your sin and the heaviness of your sin for another year. And you'd have to live with that for another year. And so when Pilate said, I find no fault in him, it would be the same as when the chief priests and the Levites, who were offering up the sacrifices in the temple court, would say, this is a perfect lamb. It's worthy of sacrifice to cover you and your children and your wife and your husband for another year. And when Pilate made his declaration, in his mind he was saying, I'm clearing him of all the wicked, untrue charges you brought against him. I find no fault in him means he's innocent, he's sinless. However, Pilate's declaration really did not matter because heaven was making its own declaration. And God was saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He is the only one worthy to be offered up for the sacrifice of the redemption of mankind. It is by the spilling of his blood that all of humanity shall be saved for all of eternity. If you're thankful for that, somebody clap your hands and praise him. Yes. See, Jesus of Nazareth is and was and forever shall be the perfect Son of God. The one who knew no sin. He allowed sin to come upon him for our salvation. Oh, that's very, very important. It's a doctrinal truth, a theological truth. Don't you ever let somebody tell you Jesus became sin. You say, well, wait, wait, Pastor, that's just semantics. No, no, he never became sin. He allowed sin to come upon him for you and me. But he's still the sinless lamb of God. And that's why he cries out on Calvary's hill, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, in Aramaic, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because sin came on him, separating him from God. Listen to me, sin separates. Sin separates husbands and wives, children and parents. Brothers and sisters, it separates you from God. So he knew I had to take sin upon me. And God the Father turned his head. And that always bothered me that God the Father would turn his head. And then one day in prayer I said, Lord, why would you turn your head on Jesus? And the Holy Spirit whispered, 
God had to turn his head for a short time on Jesus to treat him like he should have treated you so he could treat you like he treats Jesus for all of eternity. Oh, my word. You see, that's the rest of the story. It was the Roman soldier, the centurion, who was in charge of the crucifixion who made another declaration. When he's standing at the foot of the cross, he looks up and he says, Surely, this was the Son of God. Surely, this was the Son of God. And friends, I want you to understand you can examine Jesus all you want. In fact, Jesus encourages you to begin to check him out, to understand him. For the Bible says, come, let us reason together. I highly recommend you try to examine him. And you can examine his word, you can examine his life, and when it's all said and done, you'll have to say like Pontius Pilate, in him and in his word, I find no fault. It is my prayer that just like the Roman centurion, by the time you leave here this morning, you'll come to the realization, truly this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, was the son of God. Last of all, this was a time when the lambs were slain, the rest of the story. The lamb was chosen on the 10th, and it was put to death four days later on the 14th. Understand, these days that the Bible speaks of are from sunset to sunset. This is how the Jewish people count a day. And if you were to go to Israel today and you want to check into a hotel on the Sabbath, good luck because you'll not get in until sundown. And the reason you won't get in until sundown, the Orthodox Jews that are staying there, they can't even pick up their bags or their suitcases to carry them to their cars until the sun sets. Follow me now. When Jesus was taken to the cross, it was 9 o'clock in the morning. When he started walking down the Via Dolorosa, carrying that cross, it was 9 a.m. in the morning. This was the exact time when the temple Levites were sharpening their knives and getting everything ready for the sacrifice of the lambs that was to occur at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus was crucified at the same time the unblemished lambs were being sacrificed in, as the Passover lambs. He said, well, wait a second. How do we know this? We know this because the Bible says it was required that this happen between the evenings. So the ninth hour. And based on that... And the temple priest and how they calculated time, Jesus started walking down the Via Della Rosa at 9 and was hanging on the cross at 12 in the afternoon. And scripture tells us that at 12 in the afternoon, at high noon, darkness fell over the whole land. And in the midst of that inky darkness, Jesus endured the pain of the cross for us. It's on that cross that he cried out. And at 3 o'clock over in the temple, the wild-eyed little lambs were now being slain. 256,000 of them. The blood would be caught as the high priest would slice their throat, and he would catch the blood, and then he would throw it upon the altars until it ran like a little stream down the temple steps. The process would repeat over, over and over and over and over 
And it's not an accident. The rest of the story is at the very time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, outside the city at a place called Mount Calvary, heaven's lamb cried out, it is finished. It, oh, it finished. Those words from heaven's perfect lamb echoed up the streets of Jerusalem and down the corridors of eternity. Those words began to shake and reverberate down every demonic back alley of hell. It began to soar through the balconies of heaven as the lamb of God proclaimed, it is finished. The victory has been won. Understand now the rest of the story. Jesus, in total control, chose those words for a reason. It is finished. Here's the reason. Every Roman and every centurion knew that when the battle was won and victory was given, the generals of the Roman Empire would cry out those words, It is finished. The bloody battle has been won. So Jesus... He, in total control, the rest of the story, he even chose the words for them to understand. The victory, he says, has been won. The victory was for your salvation and mine. The victory was for the salvation of all of mankind. But the rest of the story, Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. So the victory was won for your healing. The victory was won for your deliverance. The victory was won for your oppression and your depression. The victory was won if you're walking in fear and doubt. The victory was won for your marriage and for your children and for your family. That should make you want to shout, thank you, Jesus. That should make you want to shout, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As the lambs were dying on Mount Moriah just outside the temple court, our Lord and our Savior was dying on a lonely hill called Calvary at the exact same moment in time. I want Luke to come to the piano and the musicians. And the rest of the story. Oh, I could preach a whole series of messages on this subject. At 9 a.m. in the morning, when Jesus was walking down the Rio de la Rosa, he had already been beaten and bruised and hurt. And the Bible says he stumbled under the weight of the cross. And God the Father, I'm so, I'm so thankful for him. Because he could have said, oh, come on, Jesus, get up. Come on, you know the plan. You know, get up. Quit struggling. But he didn't. He knows he's all man, yet he's all God. And so as he goes under the weight of the cross, he taps a man on the shoulder by the name of Simon of Cyrene. And he says, Simon, the Spirit of God whispered, it's your hour. And the Bible says, Simon, he picked up the cross off the shoulders of Jesus. Which tells me that God the Father was not only concerned with the heavenly outcome, but the earthly son as well. And he said, I'll help you carry your cross, Simon said. When I get to heaven, 
There are lots of people I want to look up. I want to find John the Baptist. I want to talk to Samson. Because I want to ask Samson, bro, she tied you up twice. <laughs> Duh. She even told him, Samson, can you tell me what your secret is that I might afflict you? Dude, you got to be pretty dense when your girlfriend says, I want to afflict you. But I want to find Simon of Cyrene. And I want to ask him, Simon, when you picked up that cross, did a little bit of that blood from the lamb, did it touch your face? Oh, you're making me wish I had another day, more time. Do you know your first day in heaven? The Bible says when you arrive in heaven, you'll walk down the streets of heaven and you'll go to the temple there and you'll see the blood of the lamb that was sprinkled on the altar for you and me. I'm going to actually see the blood of the lamb. And remember I told you that you have to look at how God chose and dealt with natural Israel to see how he deals with you and I that are spiritual Israel. And you realize that if God supplied a Simon for Jesus, don't you think he'll supply a Simon for you? You say, well, pastor, God's never done anything for me. What about in the form of the Holy Spirit who says, I will help you carry your cross? One of the greatest stories that illustrates this is given by Jensen Franklin. Pastors, an amazing church in just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And Jensen Franklin said that he and his wife were going to take their three-year-old and their four-year-old or five-year-old girl to SeaWorld in Orlando, Florida. And they had planned on leaving on Tuesday and being in the park, excuse me, leaving on Monday and being in the park on Tuesday. And his wife, Cherise, came to him and said, oh, no, 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 we, I'm just, I've been praying and I can't get, can't get past it. We've got to be in the park on Monday. And he goes, Cherise, I've already bought the tickets and, and I've already got all the things worked out. And she goes, I'm telling you, we've got to be in the park on Monday. And we all know when mama ain't happy, no one's happy. And so he says, I changed everything and I got us there and we left on Sunday afternoon after the service, and we were in SeaWorld in Orlando, Florida on Monday, and he said we were sitting in the dolphin uh, show enclosure, when out of nowhere, he said, a huge thundercloud came over, and a downpour came, and thousands of people ran for cover under the bleachers. He said, my wife, Cherise, and I were there with our three-year-old and our four-year-old, and or five-year-old, and Another thunderclap came and everyone screamed. And we noticed our four-year-old little girl, she ran about 20 feet over and threw her arms around a young lady in her mid-20s. And we tried to pull her away and pull her away, but we couldn't. She wouldn't let go. And finally, the young lady looked at us and said, please, please, don't take her away. She looked at him through teary eyes and she said, I had a little girl about her exact same age who just died six weeks ago from congestive heart failure. And I've been in the room in deep depression for all these weeks. And my parents finally talked me out of coming out of the house to bring me to the park today. And instantly Jensen and Cherise knew this is why we were to be here. 
And that young lady looked at them, not knowing who they were, and with tears flowing down her face, she said, when your little girl put her arms around me, I felt somebody pouring hot water or hot oil over the top of my head and began to wash away every hurt and every pain and every situation. That little girl didn't realize it, but she was Simon for that young lady. She helped her carry that cross. And there are some of you here on Palm Sunday, you're buckling under the weight of the cross that you're having to carry in life, in relationships, whatever the situation is, and you're wondering, is there anyone that'll help me carry my cross? I'm here to tell you, not only is there somebody here, but that somebody in the form of Jesus of Nazareth in the Holy Spirit will not only help you carry it today, but he will walk with you and talk with you, and the Holy Spirit will carry you throughout this life, not to mention that there are some 700 other Christians in this church called Word of Life that want to come alongside of you and help you carry that cross. Oh, listen, friend. I've already gone over my time. Our Lord and Savior was heaven's perfect lamb. Palm Sunday, the rest of the story, as men were selecting their lambs, God had selected his. As they were bringing the lambs to Jerusalem, God was bringing his. As they were shouting shouts of praise, they had no idea they were shouting praise to the perfect lamb of God. They inspected the Passover lamb for four days. Our Savior was inspected for four days. And when it was all said and done, they had to say, I find no fault in him. At nine o'clock in the morning, Jesus started walking down the streets of Jerusalem carrying that cross. At 12 o'clock, they hung him on the cross. At 3 o'clock, he cried out, it is finished. And the people were waving the palm branches. I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday as our lead pastor brings the rest of the story because no longer is he in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Oh, no, no. The same power that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea brought out the Lamb of God. That's part two next week. Friends, Palm Sunday is a whole lot more than just Jesus riding down the street on a donkey. It was laid out for your salvation and mine. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted your Lamb. You've never chosen your Lamb. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You say, well, I don't, I don't deserve it. None of us do. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace through faith. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you have family members that are not saved. Maybe you're going through difficulties and you're stumbling under that weight of that cross and you need the Holy Spirit to come put his arms around you. Today's your day. I'm going to ask you right now to stand to your feet and to lift your hands and just begin to worship the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. All over the room right now. I just want you to worship him. I want you to praise him. When you begin to see the prophetic healing that is in this room, there is such a heavy anointing. Sing it for me real quick. Just sing a chorus. 